0: G'day listeners, this episode is proudly brought to you by our major sponsor, SUPSHQ.com.au. Use code BENS15 at checkout to receive 15% off on your next purchase. G'day listeners, and welcome back to another episode of the Matter Mentality Podcast, where we talk all things training, nutrition, psychology to optimize your performance. I am joined by a very special guest, or another special guest, a good friend, colleague, bodybuilder, coach, all-around coaching genius, my good friend, Chris Black. How are you doing, brother?
1: Good, bro. Yourself? It's good to uh, hey. be here. To have me.
0: I'm good. It's a, it's a Monday. I've had some modafinil. I've had my coffee. I'm off to a flying start. Got my steps already done. It's it's good. It's a nice doing start great. to the
1: week. I said to you before, I've got my uh, monster here. One. <laughs> He's
0: ramped up for a deep chat.
1: I'm ramped up for a deep chat. You know, it's been a while. I haven't really ever spoken about this. So,
0: <laughs> hey, Unlike, funny, yeah. i was thinking this the other day i'm like we've had like actually I, I had this a very similar premise with Dalton. i was like i've had so many chats with you but i've never had like a, a podcast episode just me and you
1: yeah but, it's always been scaffy has been been yeah, uh, it's always cool.
0: been like group podcast or something like that it's the same with and i'm like we've done 10 podcasts together and probably none of them have been just me and him and now the same thing i'm like getting all these people on now that i respect to chat to and actually expand our i don't know Similar to, I guess, like uh, the Real Bodybuilding podcast, just get people to have a bit more of a voice about what they do and talk about and get to dive into shit more than we usually get to speak on, I guess.
1: Yeah, definitely. A lot of our chats, it's been more so in person, actually.
2: <laughs> yeah. Not even,
1: even on, you coming up here to visit me in the uh, in the sunny coast. Well, yeah. since I obviously probably did my last podcast, um, which I may have been in Melbourne, Oh no! I think yeah. I did
0: one episode. Uh, I think you did one. Yeah, I think you did one up there. Yeah, it was like yeah, before I, you kind of went went uh, went black with uh, prep. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And I, I went, went down
0: shutdown mode and just fucking focus on finishing the job.
1: After that, <laughs>
0: <laughs> just ghosted us. See you later.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I did move up my whole life to Queensland too, so uh, <laughs> it did play a role. So
0: A little bit, little bit understandable. Uh, but mate, so. Where we kind of where we kind of see this chat going, we had a bit of a chat off off air, I guess you'd call it, or fucking off off camera. Um, yeah, there's gonna be a lot of my listeners that come from the podcast. There's gonna be more, obviously, as we start to diversify matter away from that and, and individualize. I think there's a lot of richness here in stuff that isn't usually talked about. Bodybuilding, I think a lot of the time the game gets glamorized by the wrong people that aren't really. Fully immersed into it, seeing all the good, the bad, the highs, and lows. You just see like the glamorized, like stage shots. You know, I've got my Instagram thought shots, and and now I'm good to go for another twelve months. But you don't really, they don't really open up and and share the full story or the the negatives or the you know the mental side of it. Um, and I think between you and me, there's going to be some deep nuggets here for a lot of people that can get all aspects of prep, bodybuilding, coaching, preps, going through preps, natty and enhanced. Um, so I think that's kind of where. We're going to allude to by the end of it
1: yeah i'm really excited it hasn't yeah like i said to you off, off um off air i guess you could say uh, like yeah it's, it's something that's not really spoken about too much um and, and i think yeah having a, a having a certain mentality when you're approaching something and then realizing that you know if things don't necessarily go your way um mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll get into that a little bit more. In the, um, in the, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's definitely a, a topic that I'm keen to have a good discussion on. So
0: Beautiful. I'm excited. Um, all right, so kind of get the ball rolling, mate. Uh, for everyone who has not come from the, the Bros with Brains podcast and, and kind of got a bit of a background on you already, um, let's just start from the beginning. What, I know you're a cricketer, you're a footy player, you've done a whole list of sport in the past. Give us all a background as to kind of where – the athlete side of Chris started, and then got into you know coaching in uni and union and that sort of jazz.
1: Yeah, so towards the back end of sort of, or even throughout my whole sort of schooling life, I was very much an active child. Played a lot of cricket, played a lot of um, well, when I say football, I, I I mean NRL like rugby league, not um not AFL. So <laughs> I played a lot of um, rugby league and and stuff like that too. So you know, obviously after. Uh, I started training sort of around that time to mm-hmm. sort of put a bit of size on for footy because I was, I was not a big kid. I was probably like, I don't know. The, the first step foot in the gym, I was maybe like 65 kilos. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then obviously yeah. imagine that on a rugby field, like you're just not a, not a yeah. very big you kid. Know? So I don't even know how old I was at that stage. I must've been like maybe 15. Um, so pretty much I've basically been training since I was 15 years old, pretty seriously. Mm-hmm. Um I'm now 28, so I've been training for sort of a lot of years in the gym, um, obviously dealt with my fair shares of sort of ups and downs, um, training, life, all that sort of stuff as well, but finishing up uh, grade 12, I moved away to uh, study my first degree um, and that's where I sort of got into bodybuilding really seriously and um, yeah, really put my head down there and, and just started working, working, working within my first degree. So I, I studied um, sport exercise science, um, mm-hmm. did that with a dual degree with business, um, I competed uh for the first time. So the first show I did was actually an untested show. Um I didn't know there was a difference back then. I just sort of <laughs> up. Um eight week prep I I sort of went down from like I must have been like north of a hundred kilos down to like 75 kilos about eight weeks. <laughs> uh, so I, I really uh I, I suffered Spentered. more than I've ever suffered before um in that prep. And yeah, as you can imagine, it wasn't wasn't the greatest year in terms of, or greatest semester in terms of university results <laughs> I've ever had. But um, I didn't care too much about that at that stage. I was more just focused on bodybuilding, bodybuilding, bodybuilding. Yep. Um, so, yeah, anyway, I, I competed in that show. Um, I think I come third in that show. It was an enhanced show and I was natural, so I didn't really wow, know. That's the- awesome. So it's not too bad. Um, and What's the reason awesome was it? Uh, I don't even remember what it was. I don't even think it's around anymore. I think it was just like a one-off sort of show that they had in Cairns. NP, yeah, N-P- right. or something like that. Oh, uh, NABBA maybe? N- 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 maybe? Maybe some sort of NABBA affiliation. I don't know. Yeah, I can't even remember what it was. It was years ago. Yeah, right. Uh, 20- 20, it must have been 2013, I think it was. Mm-hmm. I yeah, it. years ago. That's actually 10 years ago. Okay, <laughs> that. <decade>. yeah. <laughs> I about that now because I still feel like that same sort of 17, 18-year-old yeah. kid when I... Did that first prep, um, and then yeah, I sort of I, I went on from there to to uh, compete again. So that's when I was sort of first introduced to the whole you know flexible dieting thing um, from you know the likes of a a, a friend of mine, gojet Singh. Actually, um, he was in, he competed in that same show that I did in the first one, and I was could not believe the level of conditioning that he was in. Um, so I messaged him and I was like, oh, "Bro, what what the fuck? Like, what did you do? Like, how did you get so peeled? Whatever." Just pointed me down the direction of like 3DMJ, Lane Norton, um, mm-hmm. Holmes, all those guys and I just learned as much as I could. Um, did another prep. This time obviously dieted for a lot longer. Um, I mm-hmm. was competing at the, what's called the ICN. Uh, now, mm-hmm. it, was, it was INBA back then. Yep. Uh, before they sort of changed their name, I competed in that federation. Um, after I competed in that year, um, I got in, the first time i got in proper really good condition. Um, that year, I won the teens and the juniors um, which, was, which was good. That was sort of you know telling myself, Fuck, mm-hmm. like, well, oh, maybe I actually can do this. I didn't realize there was a difference. This was, again moving back into a natural federation. Um, and then the following year, I prepped my first client, uh, mm-hmm. while I was studying as well, and that was that was big as. And then he also won, um, he won the teens at the ANB and also won, uh, the teens at the INBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, one of the only guys I know that's ever been drug tested uh, at a natural bodybuilding show because, well, he just looks like a freak. So um, I can understand why they obviously drug tested him. But um, yeah, look, he, um, he did well there. And that was sort of like my introduction to coaching. So the mm-hmm. first person I ever actually coached properly was to put someone on stage. Um, and that's sort of when I fell in love with it. So I, I then obviously finished the, um, the degree in sports science. So, and then I, I moved down to Melbourne. That's obviously where I met um, met Big Scaffy and stuff too. Uh, started working at uh, Strength Lab and yeah. uh, obviously still, still work there now. Um, and then yeah i recently moved back up here and yeah i'm actually studying uh dietetics an honors degree in dietetics now so just started that so that should be be good fun and, and keep me busy and i'm sure we'll, we'll talk about my last my last sort of preps that we had sort of a whole thing theres so there's like a whole conversation we can have just on <laughs>
0: that's
1: just a bit about you know a bit about me and where i'm sort of at now and where i've been to to sort of get here
0: brilliant i mean it's uh, i mean there's a oh fucking 100 points there basically for us to even dive into to to begin with but i guess if we take it back um to to because you're very similar to me in the sense that you know you look at pros now i guess in america where they've kind of gone from like 16 they're all in on bodybuilding straight off the bat right you see it like you know nick ian that sort of jazz they're always talking about like i was bodybuilding from 16 in the gym that was what we want to do you're very similar to myself where another course of action led me to bodybuilding where i started originally with sport I guess, in a more athletic sense. Like I was, you know, rugby league, soccer, touch, AFL, that sort of shit. Do you, were you someone who was quite like competitive the entire time? Like sport wasn't just for fun. It was like, I wanted to win. I'm going pro with my sporting career. Like this is what I want to do. And then it led to bodybuilding or were you kind of just, let's just see what happens. Everything's a bit of fun. I'm going to try everything out.
1: So no, nah, I, I can honestly say I've never just done anything for a bit of fun. Like it could be playing a fucking game of Monopoly like Mm. i want to beat you like like i have an just an ultra competitive nature and just ultra competitive drive so like when i was playing whatever sport it was like i always wanted to be uh, like not necessarily better than anybody else but i wanted to like be my absolute best yeah Um, so like i've always sort of used myself as a measuring stick but yeah like it's um i've always never just been there to sort of make up the numbers like whenever i was playing any of those other sports like i always wanted to play it as hard and as good as Mm -hmm. I possibly could. So, like, there's, like, literally, you could ask my mum and dad, it would have driven them mad. Like, when I was um, obviously playing cricket, you know, quite seriously, um, like, I would literally spend hours and hours and hours and hours, like, out there just hitting a ball on a string,
2: Mm -hmm. practising,
1: like, my cover drives, practising my cut shots, practising my on and off drives, like, just again and again and again. Or I'd be out there with a footy just, like, kicking it, throwing Mm -hmm. it, kicking it, throwing it, just, like, I don't know, just, just pounding on that skill. I've always just loved the the element of being able to train and then get better at something. Yeah. Uh, like, I find that in itself just just very fascinating and, and how, like, sort of, you know, the motor learning process works and, and how, like, skill is developed over time uh, for whatever, you know, craft it is that you're still working at. Um, and even now, like, if I if I ever am down the nets and all I'm, like, you know, practicing a bit of cricket, I'm like, I just get super into it, you know, and I get, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. with, like, I get obsessive with learning this skill um, yep. and just continuing to progress that skill. So I very much have that uh, that nature in my personality where it's, um, yeah. And obviously there's there's a double-edged sword to that too in, in every way, because it also means that, you know, you are your own worst critic and you yeah. can potentially self-destroy yourself too um, if if you're not like cognitively aware of, of, of these things too, I think.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's almost like a... Um... Yeah, you can look at it as like a, a tool or a weapon if you're aware of it, but it can be quite detrimental if you're not. Like, especially when it comes to, you know, being in a younger sport, we get to the point where we're able to, you know, be competitive and driven and kind con- of like constantly want to get better and better and better. But then you've got other people just like, you know, you got greg who's karen's son who just tells him to go have a good time and you got guys in the team that want to just have fun and where they're like what the fuck are you doing at training like why are you messing around fucking around kicking the footy when we're supposed to be doing drills i was very much in a similar like mindset myself where if i'm if i'm at training twice a week and i'm kicking the ball around at home that sort of shit like it's to drill in something to get better because that's going to lead to me getting a better like a better play on the field or you know be aware of a certain football uh, position and something like that where you know, it's constantly just getting better and better at something. I wasn't just there to have fun. And I guess like if you're not aware of it, that can take away the fun of early years of life, of skill, of of training of sport. But I guess when you kind of look back on it and you're aware of it, you're like, that was for a point. That was, you know, it was to make me better at something if for me to improve my life.
2: Yeah. That's the
1: fun of it. The fun of it is like, you know, improving the skill and then obviously yeah. trying to take it back into the the actual setting and then improve on, you know, whether it's like for cricket, improving your batting average or scoring more runs or um, scoring more tries for, Mm -hmm. you know, rugby league. Like that, being able to sort of train and and then translate that back across was was what really sort of kept me coming back. So I suppose it it all boils down to just that element of progression and like having Mm -hmm. that progressive, like thing that you can continue to work for, that progressive goalpost. Um, and, And sort of, I think that, you know, over the last few years, like, I struggled to sort of find that um, mm-hmm. again. So, you know, it's obviously probably why I've sort of gone back to uni um, now as well, just to sort of continue to push myself and, and challenge myself in the right direction. Because I think for me, like, I'm definitely the happiest when I have things going on that I can sort of yep. progress to and I can push towards.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, like if I'm just in an environment that I'm too comfortable and that I'm too, like, I don't know. It's not even comfort for me because I, I get anxious when I like don't have yeah. stuff to do. Yeah. Um, so it's it's really hard to yeah. <laughs> it's really hard to just sort of, you know, when people are like, "Oh, you know, just take a year off or take two years off." Like yeah. just, just that it's like just relax. I'll take a few weeks and then be like, "Oh yeah, but what's next?" you know. And I know yeah. that's a, in some people's minds that's like maybe a toxic sort of trait. Um, but I don't know, it's the way I've been wired ever since I yeah. was young. So it's the only thing I really know.
0: I, I'm starting to notice, and you're probably like you could definitely. Well, I I know you'll be able to expand on it yourself as well. But even now, coming into bodybuilding, as I was just as much in football and and my young years of sport, I've noticed a stark difference in say like let's see even amongst the populations of people playing the sport or competing, the ones that do it simply for fun, and the ones that are doing it for you know a specific outcome to improve, to progress, to you know win, to get contracts, whatever what we're doing it for. There's a big difference in the translation of skill. Like it's it's looked at as almost a negative. If, you know, you kind of do it for fun, you don't get the, like all of a sudden, then you don't get the result you wanted. You hear all the stories about how like, this is dangerous, this sport's toxic, and it drives the wrong kinds of masculinity. But then for us, like we go into it and the way we look at it and the most obsessive you can almost be about it. Like, literally our entire lives are fixated on these things at the time that we're doing. Yet I see it as the most self-developing and constructive i could possibly do like there is nothing more holistically developing i think than when i was obsessed with sport and when i was and now that i'm obsessed with bodybuilding and trying to get better like i don't see anything else i've done in life be more self-developing than that but yet you go to those populations where it's just i just do for fun i have some fun they're the ones i find that end up in a worse position or perhaps just not even like they don't look at that that sense of development as much
1: oh no doubt yeah like i think that's the one of the biggest issues that sort of with society today, I think is just, there is no, there is no like development mindset. It's like, I'm okay the way I am, or, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. If you generally want to think that, then that's fine. But like, I've never been okay with the way that I am. Like Mm -hmm. I want to get to the end of my life and think, well, fuck, I actually could have done all of these things. Yeah. Then I just didn't because I, someone told me that it's okay to be comfortable within whatever I am now, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. okay to stay at the same level of intelligence that I am now. So there's no point me studying any further mm-hmm. or just like so on. Like that, that sort of mindset, I think, yeah, has, has carried me quite well to now. Um, so, you know, obviously we'll, we'll chat on some extra things. I think that, you know, sort of have to come into play with that and where things can potentially, you know, fall apart for a little bit. So, but yeah, I think overall you couldn't have said it better there. That's just spot on the money, 100%.
0: So you definitely, like, I guess like you'd, you'd agree in the sense that when we look at bodybuilding through the right lens, it becomes almost, well, it does. It it crosses fields, it crosses realms, and it has applications to other areas of life. Like that's something I try to drill into my clients. I'm sure you do something very similar is I don't want a client to ever nail a perfect physique, but fuck their life up. For me, the, the, the measure of success for me is a, as a, I guess, a more holistic style coach is that my sense of success is that a client's physique is great. But along that, they've applied the skills for developing our physique into their other areas of life because I know they do cross over. But I guess, would you have that same philosophy or perspective that you find those, those skills we have, like you know, delayed gratification, goal setting, consistency, application of intensity, effort, you find them productive elsewhere?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think um, when it comes to bodybuilding, I think that the reason it gets a bad rap is because when people think bodybuilding, they think only of the stage. Yeah. Like, there is so much more to the bodybuilding process. Like you can be a bodybuilder, but Mm -hmm. you don't necessarily need to compete like that. Mm -hmm. You can, you can just live the lifestyle because you genuinely enjoy living sort of a structured lifestyle Mm -hmm. um, where you are setting those bigger goals, you know, the delayed gratification, you know, goal Mm -hmm. setting. Um, I I know for me that bodybuilding definitely allowed me to sort of harness my focus a bit more um, Mm -hmm. into areas of my life as well. So I think that for me, when like my, training nutrition all that sort of stuff is not in a line i feel messy i feel like Mm -hmm. it just everything just feels like sort of out of whack and and obviously when i'm when i'm you know delaying the same sort of message with clients too because i I do work with a wide variety of of clientele it's not just all bodybuilders and physique athletes and stuff like i work with a lot of um you know just general population clients Mm -hmm. that generally just want to improve in their lives and you know obviously the the approaches that we take with each of those clients is gonna be quite individually specific depending on their circumstances. But the fundamental principles still hold true in that, in order for you to achieve some sort of outcome, you will have to set a goal, mm-hmm. you have to set a timeline and mm-hmm. you will have to have some sort of delayed gratification. If you wish to achieve anything with your physique or anything, heck, not even in the realm of physique, like anything to do with your work, anything to do with school mm-hmm. and university, whatever it is, you will have to have some sort of delayed gratification. Yep. Like if you're studying, you can't just sit there with your phone, pick it up every two seconds. And yep. that's okay. If, you, if you're on a diet, like you can't just go to the cupboard and snack every two seconds, mm-hmm. and that's okay. You can't just not train because you didn't feel like because that's going to be okay. So doing things I think that are hard and doing things that make you push yourself to another level um, and, and make you, I think, delayed gratification is probably one of, if not the biggest keys to happiness. Mm-hmm. Because being able to sort of abstain from the thing that is the thing that you want the most at that time, which is if you are and you want a chocolate bar or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, is, or if you're studying really hard for a long period of time or you're at work and you just, you're just you just grinding, like going away from that then <laughs> um, and then building that sort of resilience to be able to, you know, you can have it if you want it, but you want to not have it in the moment. Yeah, uh, Obviously, working towards a goal at this point in time, I think is the most important thing um across that probably the most important pr- principle that i have working with all of my clients is
2: mm-hmm.
1: you will need to apply effort and you will need g- delayed gratification over x period of time you know and also even just into behavior change as well like mm-hmm. eventually that delayed gratification will become you know you will actually your behaviors will change and yeah. you may not actually crave that chocolate pie you may just want you know well, or you, you can actually have the chocolate bar. I'm not sort of demonizing chocolate here at, at all, but generally like when you are dealing with someone that has had issues with, um, you know, food in the past, like yeah. be certain foods that obviously do cause, you know, triggers and stuff like that for them. So, you know, that it may just be a case that they are a tool and that they can't eat them at the moment. So, yeah, I couldn't agree more. The delayed gratification and the and the, the tools and the skills that you learn from, or well, learned from bodybuilding and even just training in the gym and, and, you know, that sort of thing are definitely ring true for, all
0: elements across life i think yeah i mean you've wrapped it up pretty fucking perfectly there uh, uh, like a, a really easy uh like preposition that that peterson talked about once was this it was a quote that he sort of gave that um delayed gratification is essentially gambling and people don't understand that and they look at when he when he said it it was like almost looked at it as a negative way but was like, you got to realize that it's it's especially with people that are in the accepting the way you are kind of deal and the acceptance and, and stagnation and kind of maintenance if you will they're gambling that where they are now is good enough that they don't need to improve for the future and their future standing won't be impacted by the decision they make now we're gambling that where we're trying to go and what we're trying to achieve is going to improve provided we make the sacrifice or trade off now so we're essentially like investing that coin where we're depositing that that uh that what would you call it an admission ticket if you will that to get where we want to be in the future those those trade-offs are made here and we're gambling that that's worth what's to come Whereas, if I find a lot of people that you know aren't our way inclined, make that gamble that yeah, I'm I'm perfect how I am. I'm beautiful the way I am. I'm happy the way I am, and I'm I'm satisfied where I am. You're trading off here, uh, essentially. So you're trading off the potential future you could have with saying that you're great here, and that that's going to ride you through the rest of your life. And I think that's like a, almost a perfect way to put it. When obviously you know Peterson, smart man, when you put it in that sense of people with like you know physique changes coaching sense, lifestyle, business, education. If you're in that stagnation realm, you're looking at that as a, I'm trading off the, the potential development over here. I'm, I'm good enough here. And I don't need to change by the time I get down the road. Whereas for us, you look at that and go, I'm fucking terrible. If I look at where I was five years ago to look at where I could be five years from now, if I make that same rate of progression, fucking fantastic. Cause I was terrible five years ago.
1: It's almost like inflation. It's like if you decide to stay the same and inflation goes up, but, Then obviously, you know the cost of living goes up.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) You're not going to have enough money to live. So if you aren't willing to change and adapt and improve your education and Mm -hmm. do all those things, then unfortunately you'll stay the same and probably end up going backwards. Unfortunately. It's
0: funny because across all these people that we watched that, you know, everyone demonizes toxic and, and fucking anti-masculine and the wrong type of message, like Goggins, Alex and Mosey, Peterson, There's are very similar premise. And I've heard all of them say a very similar sort of like realm of quote around that um, there is no such thing as stagnation. You're either going forward and progressing or you're going backwards because the, the minute you stay still, as you just kind of put it, inflation goes up. Now what was here and maintenance is now almost a deficit you 're basically going backwards because what that was worth here is no longer worth that you've essentially either progressed or you've gone backwards Oh
1: 100 I couldn't have put it better myself there that's pretty much
0: money <laughs> <funny. laughs> pretty much sums it up I guess uh, but like okay so before we go into that that real because it's going to be a long-winded chat when we really get into that realm of your most recent prep I want to get a bit more into uh, a little bit around you as a coach um because I've seen a very I would say healthy maturity progression. Since knowing you, even like obviously that, that's applied through the things that you've gone through that, you know, you start to see some things with different lenses and that sort of stuff. But but going from your first client being a a prep client, that's obviously set a pretty high I don't say bar or expectation of standard of client, especially one that does really well. You've kind of got that that taste of it now. How do how have you, I guess, progressed from that first client getting on stage as a killing it? And now you're just progressing to, I guess, where you are. Like how does that what does that progression look like in terms of you as a coach, that philosophy and kind of how you do things?
1: So I think for starters, making mistakes. Um, yep. So uh, really when you, when it boils down to it, if, if you are starting with a prep athlete or preps like I did, you're automatically looking at things through a bodybuilding lens. Yeah. Um, regardless what the person's goal is, you obviously have a, a set sort of mindset in the way that you approach things. You just think that, oh, if I set the plan, everyone's going to be able to weigh this, they're going to be able to do that, do this, regardless of their sort of um, circumstances,
2: which Mm
1: -hmm. obviously, you know, when I was 19 or 18, 20 years old, um, you know, obviously over the the last sort of 10 years, there's been a lot of maturity there, Mm -hmm. not just uh, just sort of the coaching, but the way that I approach every, uh, the way that I approach everything, I guess. So I think um, with the coaching in particular, um, just being able to have the ability to work with so many different types of people yeah. over the last however many years it's been that I've been coaching now um, was the key to really being able to sort of like, you know, I'll oh, well, have this woman who had this similar situation to this woman. So like, yeah. I can start to draw sort of uh, draw parallels between yes. different situations um, and then also to just like being empathetic towards different situations. So like, you know, obviously dealing with, say, a contest prep athlete versus, say, of like a mother of three. Mm-hmm. Those situations are going to be very, very different.
0: Stark uh, difference, yeah. You know,
1: obviously, like, even just some just some simple ones, like, that, you know, people might not think of. Like, you know, if you are going to be weighing food, like, they're likely cooking for a family. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, like, are they, what are they going to be able to? Are they going to, you know, have to cook a meal and separate on the side by themselves? Mm-hmm. Or they're also be- sitting, you know, bouncing baby on the knee and they've got mm-hmm. two other kids running around. Like, it's it's a very, very different game and you have to yeah. understand how to approach it Um for, for that individual client and their, those individual set of behaviors right like and also to what progress looks like for that client mm-hmm. because obviously a, a, an athlete that's getting on stage the goal is to be peeled yeah you know a, a mother of three her goal is not to be peeled she may just want to lose five or ten kilos and, and mm-hmm. lose her baby weight and feel and look a little bit better about herself so obviously those two goals and understanding where the different tiers are for what's going to need to be done, um, mm-hmm. in terms of because obviously something has to be done to get a result. Yep. Um, there are many different ways that we can go about it to get that result. And I think that's, that in itself is probably where the biggest maturity has come from, mm-hmm. is being able to individualize between different scenarios yep. what's going to suit this person best. Yep. Uh, not necessarily what's going to be best uh, on paper, but what's going to be best for the individual situation. Yep. Um, and I think that that in itself, like a lot of my education, probably over like the last sort of, five years in particular has really, really been around lasting behavior change, been mm-hmm. around, um, you know, sort of how to approach different situations for different clients. Um, and yeah, I think, uh, you know, a lot of that, you know, you do learn through time um, yep. and obviously continued research. You know, these days we have a lot of different, really good educational avenues, mm-hmm. uh, as well so obviously put a lot of time and effort into, into continuing to progress my education not just being like oh well i got a client peeled once so you know, yeah that, yeah uh, when when you can't it, i actually think it is more difficult in some senses if you're working with the right person in a general population setting where you have a lot of previous behaviors that need to be unraveled yep. um, you have a lot of maybe previous issues that they may have had with certain things whether it's certain foods or, you know, whether it's like psychological element uh, that, that sort of needs to be, you know, addressed as well. Um, like there's so many different ways you can approach that situation. I almost think in, in some sense, it's harder to get a result with that person Absolutely. than it is to get a result for yeah. a prep athlete who's obviously highly driven, highly motivated. Yeah. They're going to do whatever you tell them. At mm-hmm. the end of the day, the, the general population client, they're probably not always going to do everything that you tell them. Yeah. So I often use the analogy, when I first start working with someone, I will make a few changes, obviously, and and, and put some plans in place. But I have this analogy with a dartboard. So this analogy that I have with the dartboard is essentially like, obviously, the closer that you you hit to the bullseye, the more points that you get, or you get a lot of points if you obviously hit a bullseye on a Mm
2: dartboard.
1: If you're just a, a normal general population client who is just trying to get some sort of a result, you can throw the dart anywhere. If you miss the board, it's still better than what you were doing before. But yeah, the you're narrow, on the, you're on the board. Exactly, right? The narrower and narrower that we get in terms of our focus, that might be we've lost five kilos. Now mm-hmm. we've lost ten. Now we've lost fifteen. We have to shoot closer and closer to yep. that ball's So those habits and those behaviors and, and the tools that I've taught you matter infinitely more
2: mm-hmm. once
1: we obviously get further within the process. Now, with that as well, I think that one of the biggest things that I do quite well, I think is Any person can starve a person and get them lean. Yeah. It's a very, very different kettle of fish to be able to have a person completely change their life, Mm -hmm. lose, say, 15 or 20 kilos, and maintain that loss for a long period of time. Yes. So, like, I think that that sort of period after the dieting process is is one that's very much um, still sort of up in the air. Like, a lot of people will just go on X diet, crash their calories, lose 10 kilos and then put 12 back on.
2: Yeah. Uh, You see
1: that time and time again, and it's a reason Mm -hmm. statistics on dieting are so poor um, in terms of like actual successful outcomes. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, obviously that's, that's, I've talked a lot more towards gen pop there as well, but obviously, you know, I've worked with a lot of competitors over the years. I just sort of find the competitive element with working with athletes easier. Yes. From like a physiological standpoint, because you have to understand the physiology that underpins the changes that you're making. Mm -hmm. and obviously, you know different conditioning requirements for different divisions, um, you know different symmetry requirements for different divisions, posing, all those sorts of stuff that go into bodybuilding. But you're still working with a client who's very, very hyper motivated yeah. to achieve a certain goal. So they are very motivating to work with. Uh, but being able to get a result, a lasting result with a Gen Pop client is equally as important, I think, as working with someone um, from like an athlete lens. I think.
0: I think I find it. I find it more of a. Um... It becomes more of a challenge to our skill like generally if we look at like you know it it shows you where perhaps you do need to work or study or focus some extra skill development when you when you get a uh you know a crop of clients come on and the majority of them end up being like you know say gen pop in that spectrum you then start to have to assess like, where am I weak? Where am I good? What have I, what lens have I been looking at this through? Like am I, you know, if you're talking to a gen pop, like you said, say mother of three and you're trying to work out expected ROL and your rate of loss and you're periodizing like percentage drops per week. And we're looking at this and, you know, titrate calories downwards in this progression. And then all of a sudden it actually starts to, you know, uh, they start the process. They start training, they start doing things. And you're seeing these not linear progressions. You very quickly have to realize like, is it them or me? And, you know, I think that's where it's a sign of a good coach of ownership where you've kind of alluded to it there already, where you've taken ownership of that. I used to think this way and I've adjusted. And that's a sign, I think, to to mature development of a coach. Just someone that's understanding and has those softer skills building is like we have the hard knowledge. Obviously, you're, you're doing a second degree. We have those hard skills of knowledge where we can see you know, how rates of progression are supposed to go, periodization of phases, where to introduce fat loss phases, where to introduce a growth block, specificity, volume allocation. Those things like, yeah, we know that. But if you're adding that to say, like you said, a mother of three who's got all these things going on and also the husband who's working FIFO 16-hour days on a night shift where no night sh- sleep isn't optimal mm-hmm. and tracking foods is going to be way fucking harder. If you're like, hey, here's your macros, hit the scale, track it every day, and they're in a mess hall that has pre-made meals, you, you know, things start to get blurry and they start to get confusing. We start to not get the result we wanted. If we're stuck in that old mental shift, you go, oh, well, it's the, co- it's the client. They're being shit. Reality is we look at that and go, okay, how do I make this easier for them? And I think that's a big a big lapse, lacks, lapse uh, in, I guess, some coaches, but I think it's also a good chance to develop mature, maturity and mature as a person when you can see that and adjust or learn and go, you know what, I was wrong. And I think it's a good, it's it's almost like a fork in the road moment where you go, as a coach and a person, I can say, fuck, I was wrong as a coach. Let's reassess this. this, this process with the client. And get better and I can implement this with other clients that match that same bill as you said or I'm going to stick to what I know and it's the client's fault. I think that's a very big moment for coaches to go, fuck, I don't know as much as I thought. I know the data, I know the research, but I don't know as much about people as I thought.
1: Yeah, You really have to be a chameleon. You really have to understand who it is you're talking to Mm -hmm. and what context it is because I, I even think that even just starting with the client sometimes, like if you if you give them too much information, if you overwhelm them in the wrong way and you don't simplify things enough to the point that makes it like pl- applicable for their situation, they get like, oh, fuck, this is all too hard.
2: And yeah. I've done I've made
1: that mistake before in the past. I've been like, you know, when I first started working with someone who maybe didn't have um, the most, uh, even even some athletes, they need a really, really simplistic approach to things because they yeah. just it's just too much for them. Like they, they need just the simple basics of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that, yeah, being able to understand the person that you're talking to uh, is the most important thing of the coaching process because yep. yeah, like, like you said, it's, it's it, sometimes it can differ. Like I said, even with an athlete, sometimes the approach needs to be really simple Yeah, uh, because they may have some of the same issues that, uh, you know, maybe a Gen pop client does have as well. And, and, you know, it's, one of those things that, yeah, I think that just comes with maturity and making mistakes and learning over time. And mm-hmm. and un- unfortunately, you have to make a lot of mistakes. And, and unfortunately, if you can't look back over the past, like, five years or 10 years of your coaching career and you're like, well, fuck, I've really updated my processes yeah. and what I used to do beforehand, then if you can look back and think, oh, I did all that perfectly, you haven't learned anything. Yeah. So I think that that's, that in itself and being able to admit that, you know, fuck, we're probably not all that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Um it is really, really important. Um, and I think it's an important part of the growth process of any career, not just coaching, but any career that you undertake.
0: I think an important point, like because I I as you know, um and I've, I've talked about this before, it's not a, it's not a plug by any means. Like uh we've been invited overseas to present on body composition at this coaching conference in Washington, DC. Awesome opportunity, like super appreciative. The guys are organizing, like, yeah, we want you to talk on body composition. I was like, okay. What's your population of person like? Oh, what does that matter? I was like, what do you what do you mean? I'm like, I need to know what coaching qualities coming in. Like, am I talking about rates of loss, periodization, how to focus and specificity blocks? Like, uh, expecting growth phases, how to gradually titrate calories, or am I simply going like, hey, here's like a you know you've got your Gregs and Phils and Karens and Wendy's who are coming in that want to be fitter and healthier and get back to their I guess like fuckable condition that they you know well they were still want to bang their husband or wife and look good in some lingerie. I'm like. And then it clicked in my head. The best way to almost express it was when we talk in in body composition, I look at it now more as like a a notch on a spectrum. And we look at the extremes because people like to polarize and look at extremes. You've got obsessively competitive bodybuilder, body composition, and you've got, you know, individual general population who trains three times a day, uh, three times a week body composition, even probably less than that. And I look at it and I say now, like the way I'm kind of describing to these guys when I was talking to them was. I need to understand the population because I'm either moving the level of knowledge and the level of coaching from extremity at this end to you know elite bodybuilder michael on stage level of condition body composition or we're taking this down the spectrum notch kind of on the funner end of I guess less rigidity and more freedom and understanding things education training building the muscle the knowledge of body composition and getting a slight change over a period of time but learning how to sustain I'm like those are different people on different ends of the spectrum and their look at me, like when we spoke about it, like the, the level back of communication from them was almost like they were confused or like mind blown that this was how we approach body composition. It's not just because like the coaches organized for their, their, their Olympic level coaches but for like track and field and sprinters and boxers and stuff. So I'm like, in, in that realm, the way I had to compare it was you've said body composition. It'd be like me telling you to talk on track and field in 45 minutes. You've got You're 70 talking. different variations of track yeah. and field
1: it's like sprinting okay well you have got a gen popper who sprints but also an elite level sprinter like you're not going to give them the same program are you
0: yeah exactly right and then on top of that then multiply <laughs> all the other track and field sports is it sprinting hurdles high jump long jump fucking javelin like that that to me was like when i could put it that way it made sense in my head that that's how i view and by the sounds of it, a very similar lens to yourself is i've got this person that fits on the body composition spectrum what notch am I coaching them based on the level of their goal and their lifestyle and who they are as a person? Because that then changes everything. Yeah, hundred percent. I couldn't agree with that more. Yeah. All righty. So we've just come back from a, a mutual piss break. <laughs> we are all bladder things. All about the bladder things. We've uh, we, we just kind of touched on there a, a bit more about I guess. Well, it kind of ends up being a very aligned I guess sense of coaching values um, from I guess shared between both of us. Which I think is where I, where I hope the more holistic approach of coach starts to develop. Um, I see that being, you know, where I want to develop matter and the education we put out, the content we put out, um, is I think that becomes the next sort of standard of coach that you can be. Flexy with your clients, you can be adjustable. It's not just like, you know, we can systemize things to a degree, but eventually, at a certain point, at the end of that system, it has to be individualized to the person and their goal. And with that, I think you start to become a better coach and you impact more people and make a bigger change. And that's what I want to see in coaching.
2: Yeah, definitely agree. It's, um, yeah,
1: that's just, yeah, I think that where the space of sort of coaching, you know, has been heading and and like obviously I've, I've watched sort of develop now from far, <laughs> it's been actually been a lot of years. Now when I look back, I'm like, fuck, that's actually a long time. Um, yeah, like when I first started, it was just like online coaching was not really a thing. Mm, same. Um, I still remember, like, the first coach that I ever had um, was, like, it was an online coaching thing that I did after I just can prep myself for that the, the, um, the ICN or MBA show. Um, and I was working with Nathan Wallace for, for a decent amount
0: of time. Oh, Nathan, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it was, like, uh, I was still at uni at the time, so I can't remember how long it was for. But, um, yeah, it was all sort of just very, like, very new, and it was all, yeah. like, really, like, online coaching was literally just for, like, uh, like competitive athletes or bodybuilders yeah. or, or, or whatever of that nature, there was not really a like a, a Gen Poppy sort of thing mm-hmm. um, going yet. That's only really developed like in the in the later sort of stages. And I also think that something that I would love to see regulated in the future is some sort of a minimum barrier of education,
2: mm-hmm.
1: because you're 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 fucking with people's lives essentially. Yeah and you know so i I think that some sort of minimum barrier of education should be required and i would like to see the system a little bit more regulated in the future Mm -hmm. because you know like yourself we've spent thousands and thousands of dollars on Mm -hmm. on, um in order to get you know to where we are to get our Mm skill set to to the level that it needs to be um whereas obviously these days some people don't have literally any qualifications Mm -hmm. to do what they do and they just earning hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars like it's like essentially going to see a mechanic who's not actually a mechanic to fix the yeah. car. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, yeah, like I, I, I think it's just one of those things I would like to see regulated a little bit more um, and, and have sort of a minimum barrier of entry um, mm-hmm. and requirement uh, for entry because, you know, for a lot of people, it's a very – you have a good physique. You've got a big following. Um, whether or not you have any knowledge or not doesn't really yep. matter. You're going to get people that are like, well, how did you do that? Um, it's just no different to like buying a nice car just because someone bought a nice car, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're in the best financial position to, to obviously have that car.
0: Yeah, um, exactly. And, uh, like one of the things that worries me, um, you know, to kind of wrap up on the, on the coaching spectrum side of things is, is, you know, where I'm, where I'm taking my degree and I'm taking my education, I'm still making sure that I'm up to date and varying my certifications and regulations with things like nutrition, with coaching, um, you know, with strength training and stuff like that but when i speak heavily on the stuff around psychology and client issues and and client problems and overcoming those adversities or having tools in place to use i'm spending thousands as you sort of said there thousands of dollars to be educated in what you might call the mindset space yet i i I refuse to call myself a mindset coach but i'm seeing like i start to see these people look at like uh almost like physique coaching or, or like online coaching And they start diving into this realm of like, you know, I've had a good life and I overcame this and I had a win, therefore mindset coach. And you start to see people make these very dangerous points and topics of conversation. Sure, with best intent, but we start to see people like, you know, all of a sudden online coach is also a lifestyle coach and a mindset mentor and telling you how to deal with your relationship and your divorce and your depression. And I'm seeing like, you know, people try and cure things that are, you know, uh, psychopathologized, issues that are, you know, go get some more sun. And did you wake up and see gratification today? Like, sorry, but in the realm of coaching, you're just talking about physiques or, you know, your nutrition, like don't get me wrong. We definitely have a lifestyle aspect to what we do, but if you're not going to go study those things, like you're, you're stepping out of the barrier there where it starts to get dangerous. And, you know, it's almost like a, it's been like this, this dangerous swing. I don't want to say dangerous, but it's been this big swing of like, people have started to recognize how much psychology and lifestyle factors play in the role of the client. But instead of actually learning them, they've just gone, Oh yeah, I know about that. I'm going to fucking teach you how to flip your entire life around, divorce your wife, get rid of her. It doesn't matter. She's holding you back. Like, yeah. come on, man.
1: No doubt. And even in, even in the training space, like everyone these days, like you see them pop up all the time. Like there's all these like, uh, like biomechanics and fucking biome- uh, biomechanics and all that sort of stuff. They actually have no qualifications in the area. Yeah. Like, bro, you've never been torn apart studying advanced biomechanics by your lecturer yeah. before. It's, it's clearly obvious, you know, like
2: mm-hmm.
1: things are not as simple as like obviously what people are making them. And and unfortunately, I think that is a something that, that is an area right now that I'm seeing like a lot of people sort of delving into. Um, and look, I'm all for like a scientific approach to things. But,
2: mm-hmm.
1: bro, you've never studied anything. Yeah. Like, yeah. You just pubmed a little bit. Like you yeah. haven't actually been in the trenches. Like you don't know what the fuck it's like to go through an advanced biomechanics course and get Mm -hmm. torn to shreds a thousand times and realize how much of a fucking retard you actually are. Mm -hmm. Um, Like you just rinsed PubMed or stole someone else's information. Like that, that is something that I'm seeing a lot these days um, is definitely people sort of going down that road um, that sort of had no business in that space.
0: One of the, one of the big things I've learned, especially like with this semester for me, it's my second, uh, second year of stats and this this semester subjecting is based a lot more around uh, breaking down and understanding data and validation, uh, you know, application, how to actually digest and uh, dissect research papers. And the more I get into it, the more I'm realizing just how comparatively across other scientific fields, just how loosely valid actual exercise and nutrition science research really is and how little people can actually dive in and break it down. And not, not in the sense of like, you know, you got to give me a fucking 3,000 word abstract breakdown of this research analysis, but just to actually look in and like how applicable to my population is this? How much does this apply to who I'm talking to? How much is this relevant to what I'm actually trying to coach? Or, you know, is this applicable to my group of people? Does this actually have validity outside of, of a controlled environment like a lab? I sh- Like people will say like, yeah, I'm an evidence-based coach and I've covered X, Y, Z and these are my my applications but fail to learn how to break down that evidence and know that it's applicable. That to me is not a big worry. I always assume best intention from people. But to me, it's like, you know, we've gone so far from the bro coach to then be, as you you sort of alluded there, to be the evidence-based coach, but you're not understanding the evidence. And I don't claim to be an expert at it by any means, but I'm looking at it and going, I know this isn't really that valid, but you're not even being able to do that. And I think that's a a big focal point. Like if people are going to start being that evidence-based coach, you need to get better practice at reading the evidence
1: yeah even understanding the fundamentals of the evidence as well like what is good evidence like
0: yeah you
1: know what is a confidence interval like what does <laughs> yeah. I mean like what what do all of these things mean
0: what's the criteria for validity
1: yeah like what's the criteria for for a study to be valid um like or even the statistical validity for something to be valid like there's so many little things like that that unless you've actually gone through like a stats course that you would just have no fucking idea mm. about um so even like reading research like even though that the researchers may have drawn a certain conclusion you if you have the ability to actually go through and look at their information look at their data and just obviously go through it like sometimes it actually paints a bit of a different story sometimes the results can be a little bit fluffed up and, mm-hmm. and i think this, this tends to happen a lot more now in not so much the biomechanics space for that particularly but like you know you'll see like all these guys popping up it's like oh, you should only eat meat because it's got fucking this and this and this and this and this and, And like, or you shouldn't eat vegetables because it's got this or this has got seed oils or this and this. (laughs) Yeah. It's like you're literally just cherry-picking information. Like, understand what cherry-picking information sounds and looks like Mm -hmm. and then actually what the applicable research is on an actual topic Mm -hmm. and understanding, like, different tiers of evidence, you know, Mm -hmm. meta-analysis, systematic reviews, all these sorts of things and understanding that, you know, just picking like a fucking one-off study that had like six people in it. Like, <laughs> you don't really know what the fuck you're talking about, unfortunately. And yeah. unless you've actually gone to uni to study some of these things, like you wouldn't, because you just wouldn't actually know. You're just reading something verbatim, but there's no actual knowledge of like how the study set up and like all the conditions that go into it and well, what are the extraneous variables and all these sorts of things that, mm-hmm. go
2: into,
1: you know, creating a study and study design.
0: Yeah, I think yeah. If there's one thing I can suggest to people, if you're going to go down that route, learn how to read data. Like that's just a a big takeaway. Just don't take even if you're if you're my client, you're coming to me for mentoring as well. Like uh, you know, I'm starting to coach more coaches and stuff like that. Don't take my word for it. See, challenge where I've got that from. Seek the evidence yourself and say, well, actually, I've got a different view. Cool, challenge me. Find out. Like I, itself
1: is the biggest part of the process. Right there is Mm -hmm. like just like you said. Right there is having the ability. To say hey look i also may be wrong like i i, I want you to challenge my views because i constantly want to get better as well mm-hmm. you know i don't just want to stay in the same place that exactly what you said is is how more coaches should be approaching things not like getting defensive and you know all all of that sort of thing when when your views are challenged
0: mm-hmm. i mean that's a perfectly good point to segue then as we start to get a bit more into our philosophies and, and things like that as people the biggest realm to this chat, I think is going to be where we go now. Um, diving into your most recent prep and kind of the, the ups and downs of that and kind of how we come out. Um, Cause I've seen a very, you know, we had this big chat at your house when I first, last, last time I came up for a big training session, sort of spent the day together. And we had this big sort of like hindsight is 2020 reflection, sort of, you know, this new philosophy approach of Chris. Um, I think that's gonna be a really powerful point to explore with, with, for people to really dive into bodybuilding. So Kind of give us a rundown, I guess, of prep 2022 because you know at the point I come down for the, come down for the podcast it's January, things are on track, you're in great nick. We're looking for season eight, prep for April, I think it is back uh, last year, um, and yeah, give us a bit of a run through as to where things go from here.
1: Yeah, so I mean, obviously, there's a lot of um, a lot to sort of unpack there. So I think it has to start back at the beginning. Um, mm-hmm beginning so obviously the the prep that i ended up doing where i did get on stage was 2022 um however i'd obviously tried to compete in all the seasons prior to that so basically it was essentially like i did three preps back to back Mm -hmm. um, with, with very little break or anything in between these preps so um if we're looking right back obviously when i first moved down to melbourne um you know, I, I went through a little bit of an off-season and then started into, you know, a show prep. Unfortunately, uh, obviously, COVID happened. Yep. Um, so, that first prep, I'd already lost a decent amount of weight. I was sitting in good nick. Um, I was fresh. I felt good. was looking better and better. Um, and then, obviously, I, you know, got the, the rug pulled out from under me again with COVID. So, uh, I basically said, all right, you know, we, we crack on and, um, and we push on again. So, you know, obviously... Um, you know, at the time, obviously, I was I was coached by um, my man, my man Dean, uh, and obviously, I still to this day don't have enough good things to say about him. Um, he's an incredible coach, um, and uh, I think that just for me, I, I think I made some poor decisions um, mm-hmm. with with my own with myself, with my own yeah. mindset and the way that I sort of approach things. Um, and and obviously, the first prep cancelled. Cool, whatever. I was just like, no dramas. We'll shift straight into the next one.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, now. This next prep is where I was really starting to hurt. Mm-hmm. So I think we got to like seven weeks out within that second prep. And I was looking and feeling really good. Um, when I say feeling really good, I mean, obviously, I was feeling terrible. And I was looking better and better. You know, my physique was changing. Everything was sort of going the way that we wanted it to. Seven weeks out, COVID cancels us again. hmm now I'm sitting there, I'm in a position I'm absolutely crushed because I've, I've literally worked so hard over this past, you know, a year and a half or more working towards this one specific goal. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't been able to get done. And obviously this is this is at the, dent- at the detriment of my own mindset. Um, I should have probably in hindsight at the end of that second prep said, look, let's take a bit of a, a break, um, a bit of an improvement phase. Um, you know, have have a bit of a health phase there as well um, and and just run a bit of time um, between these two preps because anyone who knows doing preps back to back to back is just never a good idea. Mm -hmm. Um, You're already carrying so much systemic stress and fatigue over from each one. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and obviously after you've gone through a prep, you should have a bunch of time, you know, in a health phase or, you know, um, time spent off. Um, and, and basically I decided I was like, no, look, uh, I've come this far Let's go straight into another prep For horse mm-hmm. to Um, So everything was cruising along nicely um, You know, obviously that's when At that time, we were obviously doing the bros podcast We were checking in mm-hmm. each week um, and, and by this third prep, like The start, everything was going well Everything was cruising along nicely um, I would say everything was going well Until about Probably four weeks out mm-hmm. And I remember this very, very clearly. So, I remember at the time I had um, three clients competing at an ICN show in Victoria. We were four weeks out, so yep. I had Noah, Jess and, and Emily and, and uh, my fiance Emily. So we were all com- she was they were all competing at this ICN show. They all did very, very well. Mm-hmm. Um, if not, they won, or if not, come second, um, or narrowly missed like an overall title. Um, I was so stressed on the day, like obviously because I you know had three clients. I was fucking like, yep. four. Out, I was just like beside myself. Like, I was just, you know, obviously, when you're at a show and you've got multiple clients competing, it's never an easy task at the best of times because you have to mm-hmm. be sort of here and everywhere. You're trying to pick multiple athletes for different divisions, timings, mm-hmm. different divisions. Um, so, yeah, ultimately, you know, uh, that show I remember very, very clearly. Um, we sort of got home and I was very, very wrecked. I was very, very tired at the time. Um, and then I sort of woke up the next day and uh i was still feeling okay obviously went and trained everything was all good and by that point i started to get like a little bit of like swelling in my ankles um and so i thought oh that's pretty weird like you know it's never really happened to me before um you know whatever you know i've come this far sort of just continue to push on um and then like it just mentally i sort of started to go downhill very
2: quickly Mm
1: uh so i think that I think that what had happened is uh, the cumulative time of all of these years that I'd obviously been you know, in a, in a deficit, dieting, oh, sure. pushing towards a whole bunch of things, I just ended up in a position where my body was just under so much sympathetic stress that things just started happening to my body that had never happened before. So I started experiencing anxiety really badly, which I'd never had before in my life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I, that was off the back of probably – I remember sitting on the couch And this is sort of where it gets a little bit deeper um, and and where things really started to go, you know, pear-shaped for me. The ankle thing, I was like, okay, whatever. That's a bit weird. That's fine. Um, And then I was sitting on the couch one night and me and Emily were just watching like a show and I was eating like my last meal for the night. And like everything just started to go like real fuzzy. Mm -hmm. Um, And like all my skin went like prickly white hot and I felt like my heart racing just like in this panic. And I was like, look, I'm fucking either I'm having a heart attack here or I'm having a panic attack. And obviously, logically, I knew um, that I was, I was having a panic attack. So that was the first time that I'd ever had a panic attack. Mm-hmm. And that moment really, really resonates in my mind because it very much did cripple me. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't know if, any, if you've ever had a panic attack before or mm-hmm. you know, any of the listeners, but if you go to experiencing something like that, the worst part of it is not the panic attack. It's the fear of having another panic attack. Yeah. So the problem was, um, and, and this is where things sort of went, really went pear shaped. Was obviously I'd, I'd been under a lot of stress. I had swelling in my ankles. I had like a bunch of sort of edema. Um, I was I was um, you know cruising along quite nicely until that yep. point, and then the worst part was was that for those final four weeks, any I exerted myself in the gym, I was worried if I pushed myself too hard
0: was going to happen again.
1: After the level, I was going to, you know, go into panic attack because I would get that feeling again when mm-hmm. I would train. Um, and, and then I obviously, unfortunately, um, it's still, you know, obviously quite raw for me now, even though it's a, it's a year on, um, even just like, yeah, just the thought of it, you know, doesn't make me feel very comfortable, but I think it's important that I sort of discuss it uh, because I think it's something that, you know, I think more people probably need to talk about Um yeah, is that basically like I, I was having these panic attacks. Um, I was obviously dealing with chronic anxiety. Um, obviously, I was struggling to sleep. My sleep was still yeah. okay. Uh, but obviously, I was, you know, dosing melatonin pretty high, um, just sort of doing what I could to sort of recover and, and try and like sleep. And then obviously, the days that I was at work, like obviously, I was walking around on my feet for most of the day, most of the days. And like, that was the worst because like my ankles would just continue to sort of swell. Yeah. Um, and then obviously, like, I was probably in pretty good condition when you saw me. When you saw me, like how many weeks out was I probably maybe eight?
0: Yeah. When I was down in, uh, in Melbourne, that was probably end of January. Cause I was coming towards like, uh, no. Yeah. It was end of January. I believe it was, um, yeah, I'd say, I'd say close to end of January. So you're like at that point, maybe 12 weeks out you're always, you're already still pretty fucking tight. Like you were still pretty lean there. We were doing posing practice at the, uh, one gym posing room. Um, And then you were still sending us check-in photos at like six to eight weeks out?
1: Yeah. So yeah, I was looking pretty good then, right? I thought I was, yeah, looking pretty good around that like eight to 12 week out mark. Um, Because we'd obviously put in a lot of work. But the unfortunate reality was I didn't feel ready. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I was in condition. I didn't feel like I was in the condition that I wanted to. So um, we obviously pushed things very hard towards the end. And if you're not fresh, that final bit can fuck you up big time. Mm -hmm. Um, So obviously I was in a position that I was really stressed. I was pushing hard. I started stressing about my conditioning Mm -hmm. um, that I obviously wasn't in the conditioning that I wanted to be in. And then I was obviously even more stressed because my ankles were swelling. I was even more stressed because I couldn't sleep properly because I had fucking um, like anxiety. I was constant fear of having these fucking panic attacks. I couldn't train, which is the one thing that I love to do that Mm -hmm. gave me stress relief was now causing stress. Um, so I was just in a position where I was just not overall feeling great at all. Um, but, you know, I'd come this far. So I was just like, look, you know, I have to do this. Like I was, right by all rights, I probably should have just said, look, uh, I, I think it's probably time that we just pull the pin here, reevaluate, come back, not push mm-hmm. it too far, and then we'll be all good. But knowing me, I'm a stubborn prick. Um, so I was <laughs> just like, I've just got to keep pushing here. So we kept pushing, pushing, pushing. Ended up getting to obviously the, the final couple of weeks coming into the show. Um, and and obviously I was, you know, the ankle swelling was sort of coming and going, but I sort of started waking with like a little bit of swelling, like around the tops of my eyes. Yep. So my face was, would wake up like a little bit puffy and stuff too. So obviously I pulled blood work and my, my blood work wasn't too bad. Um, but, you know, obviously the the, the, the ankle swelling um, sort of ended up being like rhabdo. Yep. Um, so I, I was sort of dealing with that and, you know, rhabdo can be quite dangerous. So I was obviously still, you know, working with my with my GP and my doctor um, to to sort of just see what we could do in order to get me to the stage. She's obviously worked so hard for this over the past three years, and 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 the reality is, is that sometimes you can do everything and you can work as fucking mm-hmm. hard as you can, and and things just fucking don't go your way. And this mm-hmm. instance, like I, I genuinely like, you know, I don't want to make excuses or all that. And this is why I had to put off talking about it for so long, is because. Mm-hmm. obviously on the day that i competed i was not in good condition i was not in a good way it was it was not the showing that we had wanted Mm -hmm. Um, but at the end of the day it was it was what happened um and and i think that dealing with obviously what happened so obviously that comes to show day you know i I wake up and we were sort of going through everything um I, i just couldn't any of the carbohydrates that we were putting in through peak week. Um, like I was actually looking not too bad, but I was still dealing with a lot of like the physiological stresses on my body, um, which was still again, playing on my mind, playing on my ability to recover Mm -hmm. these things. Um, and, and then obviously on show day, I I sort of woke up and, you know, even after a couple of days of like 800 carbs going in, um, you know, I was still uh, maybe a kilo or two down. Yeah. So we just decided to sort of roll with it. Um, yeah. And then obviously, you know, played with a couple other things and, and then yeah, unfortunately, like I was just in a position where I was just not in a in a, in the best shape. Um, it was, it, it's very hard because like I was, I was in a position where like you know eight weeks out, you I was probably a bit, bit naive as well, obviously too. Like I, I was in a good position where I had obviously people around me telling me like, "Fuck, you're looking amazing!" Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to be fucking like challenging for a pro card, like blah 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 blah, the rest of it. Um, but obviously, nobody, know what I, nobody knew what I had going on, sort of in the background, and it wasn't until the end where all, you know, all the wheels sort of fell off, um, and you know I really started to struggle, and, and I was dealing with what I was dealing with. But you know, obviously, I had I, I'd never felt pressure like that before because yeah. you know at the time I was also like a one gym sponsored athlete. I was, mm. um, you know, obviously, you know, big thanks to obviously Mike and, and and the crew there for for you know helping me out with the with that season and stuff, um, and and then I felt. The, probably the hardest part to talk about was just how much I'd felt like I just disappointed everyone, I suppose. Yeah. And how much I just felt like I had just completely dropped the ball. Um like I, I'd gone from this I'd gone from this look that I thought was going to be a decent look on stage and would have been a good showing to just like nothing like what I had expected that I was going to look like. Um, and, you know, obviously I've, I've already delved into a lot of the, the specifics sort of about it, but like just that feeling of like, you know, obviously I came from, you know, the ICN came from my MBA. I was, you know, the last show I did, I I'd won the teens and juniors both quite convincingly. Like I, you know, it was all good. Um, and then I'd obviously, you know, gone into this other show. I had, you know, people sort of, you know, really encouraging me and sort of, you know, gassing me up and blah, 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 blah all the rest of it. Um, and then, yeah, like I just felt like at the end of that show, that feeling that I felt that day, um, was just like, no, nothing I'd ever felt like it was just, I, I had literally, and, and at the end of the day, when you look at it, you can say, oh, well, fuck, well, what's the worst that you happened? You lost the bodybuilding show. But to me at that moment in time, it yeah. was everything.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: and it was everything to me because like, you know, I, I felt like I had just let so many people down. Um, and I, I really thought that I was going to deliver a something that was going to be something I could be proud of ultimately. yeah. Um, like, you know, yeah, everyone wants to win. You know, you'd be fucking kidding yourself. If you're doing a bodybuilding comp and you, and you don't want to win. But more than anything, I just wanted to feel and look a certain way on stage. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just, I wasn't able to manage things well enough to be able to put that look on stage. Um, and, and look, to be fair, like, you know, you know, Dean also said to me, he's like, look, um, you know, we can, we can change a couple things. We can, we can do this. We can do that coming into nationals but the problem with me and the way that my my sort of my head is and, and my way my head was was like i was just so crushed because i and obviously bodybuilding you know a sport can change a lot within a few weeks i understand people yeah. go from like last call out to winning a show in in you know a very very small amount of time um and and yeah like i i was just the problem was i was so mentally defeated yeah uh, that like i just couldn't i couldn't continue on it was more just the fear of like that that level of disappointing everyone again, mm-hmm. I put myself through that because I was still just like not in a good way, uh, sort of coming out of that um, that last sort of week there. So Dean's like, "Oh, we'll give it a few days and we'll sort of see how you feel." Um, and, and then yeah, obviously I I just wasn't wasn't feeling great, um, sort of coming out of that next that next phase. And yeah, like you know, obviously for me, like this is this is pretty hard to talk about. Like it's 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 very raw. It's like It's the most vulnerable that I've probably ever felt in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, like just on top of like all the stress, like, you know, there was a bunch of other things that sort of happened within my personal life um, as well, which should have been like red flags for me to be like, yeah, you look, maybe bodybuilding is not the most important thing here right now. Yeah, Like my grandma passed away, a whole bunch of other things sort of happened as well. Um, that sort of contributed you know negatively to to that overall day and that overall look. But because I just worked so hard for something, I was just like fuck, I have to stick with it. Um, but yeah, I just think you know when your body's sort of telling you, yeah, fuck, like, dude, you need to stop here. Like you should actually listen to it and not just be a fucking idiot like me and just like continue <laughs> to sort of push on. Um, and now look, i I, I, I say that jokingly. Because, like, some people may just feel the pinch of prep a little bit and, and be like, oh, fuck, this is hard. Uh, you know, I'm hungry. I'm a little bit hungry. I'm going to pull the pin. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. Baby. Yeah. Um, like, there was a lot more going on with me than, like, I would let on. And, and to be honest, I should have been more transparent with Danny. Yeah. Um, like, I was – I ultimately, obviously, I looked after him so much. And, you know, I still do. And I, I didn't want him to be like, oh, I didn't want him to think, oh, like, oh, Chris is a fucking pussy, like, blah, 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 the rest yeah. of it. I sort of, in a way, fudged my my check ins a bit, and I didn't tell him any of this. I didn't tell him that I was having panic attacks. I didn't tell him about the anxiety. Um, I didn't tell him about like any of those things that I should have. Yeah. Um, which you know may have changed the outcome of these things because he probably would have been like, "Look, fuck, like, we're, we're not doing this." He just wouldn't have wouldn't have let me. But because I wanted to just like I wanted him to think I was fucking you know I could go through anything. I could do this. I could yeah. do that. I really wanted to impress him, you know? So like I, and that's a fault on my behalf from wanting to live up to other people's expectations that they have of me. I ultimately, I should have just been doing this for myself from the beginning. And it was a little bit about the beginning, uh, myself at the beginning, but then it became more about like, you know, well, I thought I was gonna be in the conversation for other things, like, you know, winning classes, blah, 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 the rest of it. And, you know, like it's it's a very, um, it left me feeling at the end of the show, very, very empty. Yeah, because I, I wasn't sure about what my identity was anymore because like i I'd, I'd been known as this up and coming classic physique guy, um, mm. you know, and like ultimately now I was just like well questioning whether or not like I even one belong in this sport you know, yep. um, and then yeah that sort of just led me into a little bit more of a sort of a, a downward spiral which yeah I know I've been talking a lot for now if there's anything you want to sort of
0: interject with there as well and i'm letting you go while you're going it's 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 um you know i think it's all important stuff because like what you're describing here are some very powerful points that i think people miss where we're diving into things like uh, uh anxieties we're diving into things like um uh future potential panic attacks like we're diving into things where we start to talk about social narrative and social identity these are powerful things that people don't comprehend and it gets it gets wrongly used in things like bodybuilding and we need to be able to understand a bit more, which is why these, these conversations, I think are so important. Like when we look at like, say, uh, interrogate anxiety, we're talking in the sense of like a, a future anxiety. So when we look at anxiety, it's kind of like past experiences and there's future experiences. There's things that we're fearful of happening that we're going to try and protect ourselves from. And then we're looking at things that we're, we're fearful of that have happened before where we've developed a response to. So, you know, if you've been beat up as a kid or, and, you know, adolescent, you get fearful of, you know certain environments or people or being in certain places and that starts to resonate with you as you as you go on things like future panic attacks and stuff like that where you're looking at well you know uh, performance anxieties future anxieties well what if this happens again or this could happen here or what if i shit the bed with it and i fuck up you know we start to develop these these anxieties in responses to certain experiences you know along the timeline if you will and then we get into these things like social narratives narrative as you've identified there it starts to become well you know who am i as a person and i think a lot of people not mistakenly, because we're like, on the sense of being athletes, we're both very, very similar. A lot of what we do is around the competitive nature. Um, you know, I have, I have done, uh, spoken on before, where I use competition at uni. Where if I, if I'm in new, new to a class, or like I know I'm going to suck at a subject, I'll pick out the person in the fucking front row that I think is going to be the biggest nerd there, that's going to be be bigger nerd than me, and I'm going to compete with them about being the bigger nerd and make sure that I pay more attention in class, I do more of my assignments, more of my study. They have no idea, but I'm making self-development of uni a competition to make me stick to it now is that positive and potentially going to be detrimental fucking absolutely it's going to be detrimental p- potentially it has that risk but that's who we are as people that doesn't mean that's how everyone is as people and yeah, you know, when we start to get this way we have these identities that we create or you know we start to project the second that challenges or gets challenged or you know something comes in the way that might disprove that identity or start to challenge that narrative We like ego kicks in in a negative way and starts to get very defensive about it. We start to get to that point where, you know, we've got to essentially push back and say, no, this is who I am. Or, you know, we get very stubborn and stuck in our grounds and go, no, this has to happen. And there is that line, like you sort of alluded to there, where, you know, being hard and pushing through is the foundation of grit, determination, or self determination, resilience. We want that. But if it gets to that point, like you said, you know, you kind of alluded to there, where there probably is that line or that point of narrow term where it's like, hey, this is probably the line where it's not just being—it's not just being resilient; it's actually being stubborn. And it's probably my best interest as a person to pull back on this and kind of reassess. And you know that shows even character. I think in in uh, retrospect, for you to be able to do that, uh, because I think it leads to something in the future that you probably won't do again. And you know we'll know the difference between being absolutely obsessed and fixated and pushing the boundary versus you know, pushing the absolute limit where, you know, you're redlining the car for six, 12 months. I think a lot of people struggle with that and they don't quite comprehend that. And they think, you know, there's, there's two spectrums here. There's two sides here to the coin. There's the people who hear, oh, things are going to be hard. So I'll pull out. No, no, hard is good. We want hard. It's when stuff gets to that, that, you know, obsessive stubbornness where we're too in the trench to realize and take a, I guess, an eagle eye view, a third party view and globally zoom out and go for the, the rest of my life, is this a logical choice? Am I able to look back on this or look zoom out on this and go, do I want to do this now that potentially may cost me bodybuilding in the future? Because, you know, like you said, there's all, as we've said to many clients, there's always going to be another show. There's always going to be another season. There's always going to be another, another thing to do. Is it more sensical here for me to pull out and go, it's just not, I'm not in a good position to reassess and then go, like I'd rather get healthier here and attack it in a better spot in 12 months' time. I think a lot of people struggle with that because, as you kind of said there, when the point I'm trying to make is that our narrative or identity, social identity, who we are as a person, gets so intertwined with the thing and not as us as individuals that we're like, no, I have to finish this off. Otherwise, people won't know who I am or I won't know who I am. And I think that's a, a really big challenge there that I think you won't make that not a mistake because it's not a mistake at the time. We're in that mindset that that's what what, we're finishing this and that's who we are as people. So it's not wrong. But now in that sense of retrospect, you're going to be able to look back at that and go, I can take way more accountability and ownership here and go in the future, I'm probably not going to make that mistake. And the, the powerful benefit to it, I think is going to be how you approach that with your clients too, as well. You're going to be more conscious of being open to them or having them be transparent with you or tell you when things are going wrong that, you know, You're not going to make that same mistake for your clients, or at least you're going to be more incentivizing for them to say, "Hey, reach out. Like, is shit going okay? Are you, uh, we're prepping, but are you good? Because you know we don't want to be that coach that goes. I'm not saying that was Dean, but you know you don't want to be that coach where it's like, no, fuck everything else. We nail it. Like that just has to happen. I think this experience, as shit as it was for you, and you know the 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 trouble that we went through, is going to make you a a a better bodybuilder and b a better coach
2: yeah
1: so I think uh, yeah 100% so it definitely um obviously after that show definitely took me uh uh, a good while like I was yeah at the end of the show like my my whole identity of of like who I was as a person I didn't realize actually how much of my identity was actually wrapped up in bodybuilding Mm -hmm. um until that moment and then like to have that just completely shattered um I I, I know a lot of people may resonate with this a lot of people may be like oh fuck it's just just one show whatever like but for me, it was like, it was it was more than that. Um, it was, because I'd always come from like that sort of winning mentality, mm-hmm. you know, cost sort of mentality. Then, because I didn't feel like a winner, yep. <laughs> uh, with the look that I presented on stage, I, I, I just felt so empty and just so, uh, so like just disappointed in myself. Yep. Like I feel like I'd let everybody down. Like I said, like it, it was just not a good a good place to be. And then like probably for the, the next six months post that i know that when obviously you come up to visit me like i was still i was still dealing with the anxiety of that
2: Mm -hmm.
1: um and and it wasn't until like sort of this last six months where i genuinely started to make some really good strides and like you know got myself back into a good place but Mm -hmm. um, i think that there was probably more growth happened there as as shit as it was within that last like six month period than there was in the six years prior to that Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of mental growth like although like You know, you you often talk about, like, mental tenacity and being able to, like, stick to something or whatever. Like, I've always never had an issue with that. Like, I've always been able to follow the plan through. I've always been able to – whatever it is I've done, I've always followed it through to the completion. Whether it's a bodybuilding prep, whether it's a degree, whether it's – whatever it is, I've always followed it through to the completion. Um, But, yeah, I think that the amount of growth that I went through over that sort of six-month period, um, especially when you just – your whole identity just gets shattered to pieces right in front of you. And then, like – yeah, like, I, I was just, I was literally in a way that I was just, like, I, and, and I know that this is not, like, in, in any way, um, like, I know that people don't always think this way, but, like, I was literally ashamed to show my face, like, in, in the gym,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, like, to, to, to go back into one gym and, like, you know, have to, sort of, like, see Mike and see, like, fucking the rest of the, the crew there, like, mm-hmm. I just, I just felt ashamed, I felt ashamed in the way that I looked, I felt ashamed and everything, and in hindsight, yeah, look, it's a fucking bodybuilding show, but... Yeah, like it just in that moment, it just felt like everything to me. Um, yeah. and it literally, just felt like yeah, like no, nothing I've ever experienced before. It was, it was definitely something that I, um, yeah, had had a lot of sort of work to sort of deal with. And I'm assuming that we are will obviously go through the the whole sort of you know Stoic philosophy and and stuff like that too. And I, I generally found something like that at the right time. I yeah. think when it was sort of. I feel like, you know, you're not really open to those ideas until you're in the right time for them. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, that was, that was pretty much, yeah. After I was sort of trying to put myself all back together. I know it sounds, sounds fucking, you know, probably a bit more dramatic than what it is, but in my head, like it felt, it felt like I I had lost a lot, you know? Um, No, see, I
0: don't, I don't think it, I don't think it's, I don't think it's not a big deal. I don't think it's small. And I know like to most people, like you said, yeah, they're going to hear that. But I think, if we put it into the the uh, comparison of whatever thing that people are absolutely interested in, this is like this is a world to us. This is like how we not how we live, but is what we love to do. It's everything that we are as people summarized mm-hmm. in an action or activity. Like when I say purpose, intensity, consistency, it's not just for bodybuilding clients. It's because I genuinely believe they're the key pillars to success in life. You do those three things, that everything you do, if you have those three things, you generally succeed. And bodybuilding is a, is a genuine uh genuine presentation of that over a long period of time and to sort of say like you know it doesn't sound like a big deal people really don't understand what it's like to have an identity challenged or to have a a thing that they are almost like their world ripped out from under them until it happens and unfortunately a lot of people go through life where they don't have higher hard borderline impossible goals that are beyond the realm of normal or, or acceptable or you know um genuinely intense a lot of the time, it's just simply like, you know, get the house, get the wife, buy a dog, fucking work 40 years, live happily ever after, though they don't actually live happily ever after. We know that that's, that's the pretty standard fucking Disneyfication of life and how the, the white picket fence story is supposed to go. So for people they don't have that identity as who they are, I was lucky and I wouldn't change a thing, but quite unlucky in that- what happened to me when I had my car accident was that first identity that I lost was me as a rugby league player. I lost my my entire world till the age of like, I I basically mapped out my life until 30 because that was the average age of retirement from an NRL player. And I was like, okay, life changes at 30. Like the first 30, 30 of my life is this and that's it. And I have no idea what goes on after that because this is where the most average person in rugby league plays. Car accident happens at 21. I lost everything. Career, job. Fucking partner, uh, my my sport, my identity as a person. I am a rugby league player who also was a chippy. I am a rugby league player who had a girlfriend. I am a rugby league player who you know my my social narrative was to present myself as everything I do is towards getting better at rugby league, and when that was taken away, it was such a huge hit to me that I literally was like I was diagnosed twice with depression. I was you know went through all these things. And it's not in the sense of like, you know, Pity Mix out a car accident. That I don't give a fuck about that. I fix that. Well, I fix that. I work through it. But it was more so the the mental loss of identity and the struggle to know who the fuck I was after this. And that I think is something that a lot of people don't actually go through, and especially this early in life. Like that, it might be you know you get to. 40, 50, and we start to see the male midlife crisis kick in, it's like, well, you know, I used to be this jacked sports athlete when I was in high school and bang the hot chick, and Now I'm fat and my wife's fat and you know, life's miserable. And I'm just repeating the same job that I don't like. You start to get a bit of a challenge there, but this early for us at such a young age, it doesn't really happen all that often and nor are people willing to explore it and understand it. And I think that's kind of what you've gone through here is that, and it's not a bad way. You're an athlete who identifies entirely with the passion and love of what he does. And that was in a sense at that moment taken away from you because after three years of building up this culmination or climax of, of events, it didn't land how we thought it would. And that's led to you being like, well, fuck everything I know is a lie. Is this even what I'm supposed to do? Why the fuck am I here? And all of a sudden you have this entire internal challenge and introspection is a hard fucking thing. And I don't think a lot of people grasp that when, so when you sort of and I'm not saying this, you know, you personally have a diggy right now, but when you sort of say in that sense, like, ah, oh, it's a small thing. It's a small thing to the external. When you've got, you know, a physical injury, you can see like a broken leg to people that don't understand this shit. Yeah. Broken legs harder because you can see you got to fix a broken leg, but trying to explore these things and understand who you are as a man and a person after this has been taken away, fucking challenges every part of your being and, and whether or not you still want to be here. Like I, I can genuinely admit losing rugby league made me consider why am I still here? And that's a fucking, that's a sad reality to say at 21 that I'd almost given up the next 60, 70 years of my life because I was like, well, I've got nothing else. This is what I do. And I've now lost that for the, like the entirety of my career. That becomes a pretty hard place. Like I talk about it pretty openly now. I don't even give a fuck. It was like a very serious moment at the time, but like I don't think a lot of people go through that. And what you're describing is literally that similar premise at the time for you to say, you know, maybe this wasn't for me, or this whole thing was a lie or a charade or, you know, fucking scam. I'm not who I say I am. I've got to contemplate with this. People are going to look at me differently. And that all stems from that internal, that internal projection of the narrative you've created of yourself. And it becomes so much about who we are and what we do and everything we love that you're now assuming that everyone else is going to think this thing about you isn't true or that you're lying or that you're you know a fake, a fraud. So it's a very real conversation. It's a very real point to be in that I don't think a lot of people understand.
1: Yeah. And it's also – what, what another thing that was hard for me as well was, well, because obviously, you know, I was a, a, an athlete, a, a bodybuilder or whatever, and I also was a coach. Yeah. My identity was also now tied in with work. Yeah. So that was the one of the hardest things was is, like, I couldn't get away from it either. Yeah. Because now I'm like, well, fuck, like, I, I, I'm a shit athlete. Does that also mean I'm a shit coach? Yes. As well, you know, so you're you're having these thoughts as well, and you and you're kind of like juggling these things, and you know, it 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 really it really that was probably the hardest part. Like, it probably wouldn't have had as much of an impact on me if it was just like, okay, well, Monday morning I go back to fucking whatever job it is that I do. that's yes. Not the fitness space. Um, that probably would have been a bit easier, but I, I found it extremely difficult because then I felt like an imposter in my own body. Mm-hmm. Um and, and that was probably the first time in a long time, considering, you know, the amount of fucking time and effort and money and energy and mm-hmm. that I've put into, into you know my education and all that sort of stuff, I'd felt like I just didn't belong. Yeah. Um, and, and I felt like that, yeah, like I was just this just wasn't wasn't for me and and yeah, I don't know, I just fucking just threw it all into a heap and I was just like, well fuck, what am I gonna do here? Mm. So, you know, I pretty much, I took like, you know, I, I've been, I would say I've been sort of out of the bodybuilding space for, for probably a year. And when I say out of it, I mean sort of like not really following along on what's been happening or, yeah. um, you know, any, anything like that. I still obviously talk to, to some sort of my friends like yourself that are within the industry as well, um, pretty pretty regularly. So, but yeah, like I, I just needed some time away mm-hmm. um, to sort of get myself together, obviously, you know, refocus myself um, mm-hmm. continue to push towards something. And then, you know, everything little by little, starts to just fall back into place again, you know? Yeah. Um, So, yeah, obviously, you know, I had a few coaching challenges there as well. So, um, you know, that sort of same year, at the end of the year, um, you know, I had, obviously, Azra and Troy both competing at, you know, Queensland's and Nationals. Um, And then, yeah, I think it was something that really allowed me to sort of step forward and and realize, oh, fuck, like, you know, maybe don't be so hard on yourself. Yeah. Uh, You know, obviously, I I ended up, you know, Azra obviously ended up winning the Novice National title. uh, And then Troy obviously... Place third in the in the masters so you know like i that built me a, a bit more of that self-belief that i previously mm-hmm. had back into myself but like i can genuinely say i didn't feel like myself for probably a good oh six to 12 months
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: and only like only like now over the last like you know probably few months have i really started to be able to put myself get myself back to where i was before yeah um, which was, you know, not dealing with any sort of anxiety, not dealing with anything like that, because that was the hardest part for me. Because my entire life up to that point, I'd never dealt with anything like that. Yeah, um, I'd never dealt with any mental health issues. I'd never sort of experienced what people mean when they're like, "Oh, what does it mean to have anxiety? Or yeah, does it have to do this or that." I'd never experienced that, um, and, and it took me, yeah, like I got a lot of conversations with you know people close to me and a lot of, um, well, I suppose, self discovery in a way. Yeah to be able to sort of, uh, you know, drive myself forward and, and realise that, hey, look, you're the only one in control of this process. Mm-hmm. It's your decision and your decision alone whether or not you decide to push on here or mm-hmm. whether you decide to not.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, you know, for me, like, I, I can't stay away from bodybuilding. Like, I, it's, yeah, yeah, it's that I, I've i loved. um, And I've loved and, and I'll always continue to love it. You know, like, I've always been the guy who will buy the Olympia stream every year. I'll always be the guy who... You know read used to read all the magazines like I was back on the fucking bodybuilding.com forums before that was cool you know like doing all of that stuff I, I, I was there yeah and, and I guess that, that that was probably a big reason to why it crushed me so much when when things didn't didn't go my way um, but yeah that that yeah it was I think we've covered a lot of good stuff there I think
2: yeah
0: I think there's a, there's an important little transition here before we kind of wrap up and I think is that it's the post show period and it was a very big um I think a a proud moment for me is not as any sort of like I'm your senior or anything like that, but in the realm of what I study and focus on. When when I'd come up there and you started showing me some of the stuff that you had been reading, diving into, and looking more into, like to me, that's the stuff that I, I push when people are ready. I think I I, I genuinely encourage that level of exploration and, and understanding because it is very profound, it's powerful, but it's also deep and requires a lot of open thought. Um, But seeing you with things like uh, meditations, with 365 days of stoicism, uh, or sorry, 365 meditations um, from uh, Ryan Holiday. Is it Ryan Holiday? No. Yeah, it's Ryan Holiday, isn't it? Uh,
1: Daily Stoics, Ryan Holiday. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry,
0: Daily Stoic, 365 days, Daily Stoic. Yeah. Um, You know, these these things that it's a, a level of philosophy that I don't think a lot of people are prepared for, but, you know, it's where extreme ownership and accountability lies. It's where things, you know, we we start to realize what we're in control of. We start to see these things. And, and what I'm talking about here, listeners, is, is uh, Chris's discovery of stoicism. And it's something that I think everyone who's followed me for a long enough time knows that I'm a big proponent of. Um, I don't refer to myself as an entire, entirely uh, absolutist in stoicism. I take a lot and I self-apply where I need to. I think there's some things that we quite can be wrong in stoicism. Um, but at the same time, there is so much about it that literally changed my life after dad passed away and I knew that I still wanted to prep and do that sort of shit. Um, you know, once so I got my hands on it and in the realm of what I study, seeing people be able to recognize that like yourself, it was, I would say, probably of the best times you could possibly discover it and really be open to that conversation.
1: Yeah. So, I, yeah, like um, obviously I'd, I'd seen you share about it, you know, quite a lot on your stories um, and, and all that sort of stuff. It was... It was a conversation that I had with Troy, um, mm-hmm. my man Troy, who, who's a good mate and a client of mine as well. When we were at Nationals, um, obviously, you know, I was piquing him and Azza for, for it. And, you know, obviously, he's, he had dealt with a lot of traumatic things that have happened in the past. So, so Troy is he's like, you know, in his late 40s now, um, you know, absolute Great bloke. Um, hmm. He was. He obviously, you know, uh, has delved, you know, quite deeply into the whole, you know, stoicism sort of philosophy and and all that sort of stuff too. And really, sort of, you know, opened my eyes to, to things a little bit more. And I was just like, oh, you know, okay, well, what is this? So, you know, I started doing a little bit of, sort of research stuff about it, and you know, started to buy a few books and started to sort of read um, some of the things towards some of the philosophies, you know, around stoicism. Um, and and to a lot of people, like I feel like, until you're like you're ready for it. It's, it's not going to be something that you will read and be like oh they won't, you won't have that sort of aha moment
2: mm-hmm. yeah. um, i
1: think obviously the whole general premise of being stoic in any sort of situation is that like it, it teaches you a way to sort of deal with your own emotions
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, to, towards certain situations and, and be comfortable with things you no know, you know no matter what no matter what the outcome um so it, yeah it's it's i suppose it's hard to sort of summarize in, in like a few sort of words but the, the easiest way that I sort of describe it to people are, are, are that like, it's one of those things that you, it's a, it's a tool essentially in the belt. And again, mm-hmm. like I said, a lot of the Stoic philosophies, some of the things will resonate with you and some of them won't. Mm-hmm. And I think the more that you read into Stoic philosophy, the more you'll realize that that's also okay. Yes. Yeah. Because the Stoics, unlike say Buddhists or, or stuff like that, they they believe in sort of everything in moderation, I
2: suppose. Mm-hmm.
1: Like, um, you know, whereas like, you know, the Buddhist, for example, you've got to cut this, you've got to cut this, you yeah. got to cut this out of your life. Um, whereas, you know, to be stoic is more of a mindset in the way that you sort of approach your life and the way that you approach situations. So, you know, obviously, and and I'd heard Troy say it, say it, you know, when I was sort of peeking in or going through things, you know, I would often say to him like, oh, you know, what are your expectations for the show? Like, what, 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 what do you think is going to happen? Like all the rest of it. Uh, and, And he basically said to me, he's like, well, you know, I don't really have any expectations regardless of what the outcome is. I'm okay with it. And mm-hmm. that itself to me, watching someone be able to say that before a show like a fucking Nationals mm-hmm. um, and, and even Queensland and as a two, it obviously has gone, you know, through some big self-development over the past, like, you know, a few years as well. Uh, but just being able to, like, see someone in the midst of it, yeah. using and applying those tools really made me think. And I'm like, well, you know, it, it really just controls your reaction to your emotional reaction to situations mm-hmm. too, so, I know that, you know, say, Marx Aurelius, for example, a lot of it, um, a lot of, you know, the teachings were the way he sort of approached death and, and, and all the rest mm-hmm. of it. It's basically being okay with, um, you know, all of the, being okay with any outcome, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah that, that, that really sort of, you know, pushed me down that path and, you know, I started sort of reading a bit more and it really sort of helped me claw back what I had broken within myself, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and, and understand that, hey, look, you know, regardless of if even if you did disappoint people, what the fuck does it matter, you know? Yeah. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter in the end of it. Like, whether or not you disappointed someone or you won the show, the next day, you still got to get up and do the same shit again mm-hmm. in, in reality. So, like, it really doesn't change anything.
0: Yeah. And, and like, yeah, you kind of summed up perfectly there is that, you know, in a thousand years, whether you won the show and people disappointed you or not, we're all dead and everyone that you possibly have known will have died and not had any thought about who you are as what you did at that moment. But yet we place so much pressure on ourselves in that instant that this has to be perfect based on everyone else's perspective. And I think it was a, it was a very, um, I almost teed up a little bit about it when I, I watched back. So we did a, a, a semi documentary for, for my prep for season a and similar to yourself, I've been through two preps where COVID had taken it away. And I just said, look, no point stressing about it. Let's wait till COVID's out. Um, you know, Dot went his way and the things he was doing with coaching. I'm like, i like now business is going. I want to coach myself. Again, very similar premise I placed on myself. I need to show what I know as myself and how I do things and, and what I know and understand. And, you know, I kind of went all in, all eggs in the basket that I need to give my best foot forward in this prep because that will reflect me as a coach, which will reflect me as a business. And, you know, I kind of went about this, you know, I had written down 2020. It was at uni. I was in front of W block at QUT and I remember writing out my two years plan of kind of what my numbers need to be, what my metrics were, what I was going to expect of myself on, on stage in terms of what I could control. And I created that kind of list of like, well, what's in my control going into a prep? And I had everything down to the T. And I think I got every single box by first place. And that was, you know, the condition I'd come out in terms of total millimeters, um, the weight I'd expect to be around on stage, you know, my overall calorie expectation, yada yada, all these sort of things. Um, the Things I can perfect, which would be like, you know, my sleep cycle, uh, supplementation use, being smart with um, uh, protocols, all this sort of stuff that I could control there. I was like, okay, that's what I'm in charge of. I've got that down to a T. I can do that. And then we look back. I, I found the folder because uh, my PC had died, so I transferred it over. I found the folder. And we we're talking about in the podcast. And I said, you know, uh, Phil, the videographer sort of asked a question like, you know, what are you expecting out of this? And I said, the only thing left to do that I have set out for this prep is to win. And that is outside of my control. There's nothing I can do about that once I know that every box is ticked. And I think that there's a point in time where uh, I used to get insecurity or anxiety around games or playing if I hadn't trained properly, because I know there was stuff left in the tank that I could have given. And as long as I got to that point in time where I know there was literally nothing left to produce or to put in, that there was no point being worked up about the result because I couldn't change it. So there's nothing left to do. And then, you know, seeing cuts to me getting my my um fucking medal um and then making call outs for the um for the under 90s, which was great. That was fucking awesome. But it was like to me, it was a it was a it was a profound moment because I got to see everyone in the stage. Like our team was like, you know, I could see from you know middle of the stage that where the team was in the audience, and I could hear them clapping and cheering and support and all that sort of shit. And that was to me more of the profound moment. I'm like, I'm proud of this because I know that out there in that audience is a team of people I'm creating, but there's, there was nothing left for me to do. So how I've got last or, or first or 30th and even getting sixth, I think it was in, in state callouts. Like I'm okay with that. And then from there, like the, you know, a few people have sort of said like, Oh, you know, you've got pressure on yourself now to do well at nationals. And I was like, I honestly don't, I know that for under nineties, I got my ass kicked. I'm nowhere near big enough to do under nineties because I'm too tall and I look th- thinner compared to them. And from there, nationals is just, I just dug in, do my job, whatever I can do at nationals and whatever happens, happens. End up with a little bit of gastro, like show morning, I couldn't stop shitting. It was just fluid. It was gassy. Kept flattening out and pissing out all the fluid. And the more I tried to fill out the software I got, so I'm like, I still did like, I think I was fourth at nationals at novice. I'm like, great. There's there's nothing I can do more than that other than already know the season's a win because I got a gold. And But like looking back on the grand scheme of it, in the way that I'd applied that stoic philosophy, is that every box in my control was ticked and I know that and there was nothing left in my tank to, 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 to give. So in the sense that not winning a pro card, I just wasn't ready. That's was fine. That to me is like, well, that's, I, I, I can't control that other than a matter of time and consistent effort. So, you know, I think for me, that was a, that was such a big honest reflection of how stoicism changed my life. Cause the first season I was fucking pissed. I was like, I looked terrible. I was small. I was, you know, all this work I put in, I was nowhere near big enough with all this work I do. And then to get to this season where I'm like, even with, you know, a medal, it was a novice. Um, you know, I got to that point where I recognized like this is just a stepping stone to the road of continued progression. And, you know, that to me was such a show of mental growth that I was, you know, pumped about, obviously, but similar to kind of what you talk about there with Troy, and it's going to be something I think you continue to develop and we'll start to see, is all these notches and these checkpoints and these criteria. As long as you know that, you know, as a coach, you've ticked every box with your client. As a as a person, you've ticked every box on stage when you do it, when you compete again. You'll start to see. And I think I, I wish every athlete could have this. Is that when we look at goal setting, there is process, performance, and outcome. You can control the process every single day. You can control your performances in the gym. You can't control outcomes outside of your control. So having that dichotomy, it's what you know, Epictetus refers to as a dichotomy of life. What am I in control of? What am I not in control of? Place energy and effort into the things I can control. Let go of emotion attached to things I'm not in control of. If you can do that, you literally change the entire perspective of how you compete, train, do life, business, study, everything. You know, I didn't get a seven. Great. Did you study every fucking thing you possibly could and you still got a six? Yep. Great. Then you can't be mad. You only got a seven, a six. There's just, you weren't meant to get a seven. That's okay. I think that's such a, like, it's something I see in you that will be there in the future. And that, that. continued development of stoicism as a philosophy that you apply to life that i just wish so many other athletes and coaches learnt without the need of adversity without the need of like you know trauma and horrible experiences but you know i think that's such a a powerful place of reflection for you to get to and be able to start taking that on board is it's going to fucking change the trajectory of your life
1: yeah it definitely has Yeah, for sure it's changed the sort of trajectory you know like uh, I will definitely compete again at some stage. Um, you know, I, de- I do want to, but I want to do it for the right reasons.
2: As mm-hmm. well, you
1: know? So like, I don't want to, I don't want to go at it before I'm fully ready. Um, yes. You know, like I'm, I'm definitely under no illusions, um, you know, that I, I need to be bigger. I need to obviously mm-hmm. fill the weight cap um, before I decide to, you know, compete again. There, there's literally zero point until I've filled my weight cap. So... That means that I, you know, and, and until like I think, like you said before, knowing that I've done everything that I possibly can, mm-hmm. applying that obviously to competing in bodybuilding for me in this offseason, in this improvement phase, means until I can come back and I'm gonna be standing on stage in condition at about ninety two or ninety-three kilos, which will be my mm-hmm. weight cap for my height, there is zero point me even toying with the idea of getting back on stage until I'm in that position. Cause that to me tells yeah. me that I've done everything I can. If I am as big as I, as big as I could be in the weight class, as shredded as I possibly be. And then I still lose on the day mm-hmm. is what it is. Yeah. Um, you know, that means that tells me I've done everything that I possibly could. You know, I went through the improvement phase. I, I did everything that I could possibly do. I added the tissue mm-hmm. in places to improve my overall symmetry flow, whatever it may be. Um, if I can do all of those things, then I will come back to the stage um, and mm-hmm. if that doesn't take place, then I'm also okay with that. Yeah. Um, because, you know, ultimately the, the reason that I wanted to progress down the pathway of sort of dietetics as well, is just to sort of be able to be in a position to have a different role if I wanted in the future. Yep. Um, you know, I think that being able to, you know, I've obviously been coaching now for a long time. Um, I, I do want to, I'm not sure what capacity I want to continue to to sort of work in if if I you know if I go down the dietetics role or where that will lead me or whatever it may be within the future. But I want to have I want to have a different role if I have access yeah. to it. Um, and obviously, I enjoy the the topic and I enjoy learning about it. So I enjoy being able to sort of you know change people's lives through nutritional intervention and and, and all that sort of jazz, behavior change, all that sort of stuff. So yeah, where that sort of leads me into the future, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. But um, I'm definitely I think I finally become at peace with yeah. everything that happened um, over that sort of last year, and you know, unfortunately, for yourself to progress up, you probably need to be obliterated into a million pieces yeah. and have to fucking pick up the pieces before you can move forward again. So I, I really, I didn't really talk to a lot of people about you know or everything that I was sort of going through. I spoke to a few mates that I'm close with about it, um, and, and I basically didn't say a word. Um, you know, obviously after. I, you know, we stopped sort of doing the, I stopped doing the, the bros podcast obviously because I was, you know, dealing with various things um, and, you know, just had to get work done and we're obviously moving and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And, and I just, yeah, feel like it was, yeah, just something that I had to, had to do in order to sort of fucking build myself back up again. Um, and, and I think that regardless of whether or not, even if I you know, do compete again, and even if it is a loss, it, it really doesn't. Doesn't matter to me as much now mm-hmm. as it did the first time. So I've already gone through that experience before. Yeah. Um, so it really doesn't really doesn't matter. Like at the end of the day, <laughs> and I was laughing about this with uh, with Emily the other day. Yesterday, actually, um, and, and we saw like a photo, and it, it's good that I can actually look back and laugh at it now because mm-hmm. ultimately, like you know, I, I couldn't have looked worse <laughs> when mm-hmm. I think about it given the the circumstances and the the situation, everything that I was dealing with. So, um, you know, what I don't want is I don't want, you know, people to think that, oh, fuck, like I'm making excuses, blah, 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 the rest of it. At the end of the day, think what you will. It is what it is. Yeah. Um, You know, I will be back at some stage. I will be back on stage. And, you know, hopefully I can produce something that I can be proud of the next time that I I step on stage. And, you know, if if I tick all the boxes and I do all the work, which I always do, um that that is something that i will always do and and is in within within my control to improve so and if it's meant to be my day it will be you know
0: yeah i mean that that final sentence like i guess that 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 final point there is basically embodying the tenets of, of stoicism as you've learned it you know temperance wisdom justice morality like in the, in the sense of looking at you know you learning a different role in the sense that you want to continue to improve people's lives and do morally good things. And that morality of judgment comes from you deciding what that is doing, you know, judgment, uh, uh, sorry, justice in the sense of, you know, doing right by people, doing right by yourself, giving yourself the best chance to put your foot forward. Um, You know, and and then from there, you're you're taking accountability and ownership and controlling the, the things that you can control and not placing the pressure or the expectation on others to do the work for you. And I think that's a, like a, a powerful point to end on is that yeah, you you got put through the paces and you got went through that shit. But the ownership and accountability of say stoicism is that it's up to you then to decide, do I stay here and borderline bitch it and let it kick my ass and be defeated by it and play the victim for the rest of my life? Because that's very possible. People have done that with work with less situations. Do I stay here and play that role or do I take ownership at rebuilding who I am? and finding out further who I am as a person, because there's nothing more self-developing than, well, Peterson puts it, the only way to get to heaven is to go through hell. And a lot of people, unfortunately, get through hell and go, well, I'm suffering. i may as well just stay here. If you stay in hell, you're literally in hell. So why not continue forward? And eventually you get to paradise and you get to that sense of peace and that sense of growth and development and continue to push yourself harder. There's no better way to do it. So unfortunately, people don't like to go through the fire. And from here you've now been through it and that just opens up the world to what you do next.
1: Yeah. I I was before I was basically living like the world owed me something. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like I was living in a way I was just like I thought because of how hard I was working and you know, you always think you're fucking working harder than the next guy, whether it's true or not, you don't
2: fucking know.
1: I always I thought the world owed me something and I was sort of living that way. Um, whereas now, like, I understand that the world can be a fucking cruel place in the in the wrong Yeah, (laughs) under, under certain circumstances. So, you know, more than anything, I I think I've just learned about not taking stuff for granted, I suppose, even the small things and also just that the world does not owe you anything and it can be a very cruel place. Um, So, yeah, ultimately understanding that impact and and the way that you control yourself and the way you can control everything um, and controlling what you can control, I should say, um, is the most important thing. So, yeah.
0: I think it's a powerful point to wrap up the chat. Otherwise we'll keep talking for four fucking hours and we've both got check-ins to do and check on clients. (laughs) Um, Mate, I appreciate your time and and the honesty and openness, as you said, you know, we haven't really had a chance to talk about this before we talked about it when I sort of came up there after it all happened. Um, But I think this opens up a lot of dialogue for people that, that possibly just look at bodybuilding for the stage and think it's all fucking glitz and glamour without realizing the entire entirety of what goes into it and what can go into it and what can go wrong as well as go right. Um, You know, I think that opens up a lot of, conversation with people to just be a bit more aware um, that it's not just makeup and pageantry day. Um, But yeah, to kind of wrap up, where do we, where do we find you and give everyone a a chance to follow your shit and where you're going and what you're doing?
1: Yeah. So um, uh, obviously Instagram is probably the main thing that I'm, that I'm active on these days when I, when I have time, I'm not like a massive social media person. So I don't post all the time, but um, yeah, sort of any sort of coaching inquiries, you can, you can reach me through my page um, coach underscore Chris Black. And uh, yeah, that pretty much covers it off, Benny.
2: It is, mate.
0: Me. I appreciate your time.
2: My pleasure.